This is Ozarks at Large for Tuesday, March 29th, 2022. I'm Kyle Kellums. And I'm Matthew Moore. You're listening to your public radio station, KUAF, a listener-supported service of the School of Journalism and Strategic Media at the University of Arkansas. Today, we're taking a breath for much of our show and celebrating calm. We'll find out how image, sound, and Fayetteville landmarks combine for a unique TikTok experience. Plus, one of the greatest living tabla players is coming to Walton Arts Center. And later, Ozarks at Large's Jacqueline Froelich reports the EPA has proposed a cross-state air pollution rule to reduce industrial ozone pollution in the U.S., including in Arkansas. And in just a couple of minutes, Doug Stowe discusses his new book that gathers a lifetime of experiences working with his hands. We're asking you to work with your hands just a bit today by going to supportkuaf.com and contributing to KUAF. This is our spring on-air fundraiser when we remind you that we can bring you programs like Ozarks at Large, Fresh Air, and All Things Considered only with support from our listeners like you. The public radio model relies not on corporations or commercials to fund our programming and dictate what we air, but rather we rely on you and the contribution you make in the amount you choose. We work together with contributions of $20, dollars $1,000, $1, and everything in between to raise the money required to bring you the best radio possible. We aren't here for you without you. You can make a contribution right now at supportkuaf.com. And the first $300 during Ozarks at Large matched by great KUAF supporter Marty Burgraff. It's your opportunity to match your gift of up to $300 during this Tuesday, Ozarks at Large. You can do that right now at supportkuaf.com. And thank you. Doug Stowe believes almost every part of our lives can be enriched if our hands are engaged. He should know. He's been woodworking since 1976. He founded the Eureka Springs Guild of Artists and Craftspeople. He helped found the Eureka Springs School of the Arts. He teaches children, adolescents, and adults. And he's written more than a dozen books and is designated as an Arkansas Living Treasure by the Arkansas Arts Council for his work with wood and in education. His latest book brings much of what Doug does well together. The Wisdom of Our Hands, Crafting a Life, is about the value of working with our hands. He'll sign copies of the book Sunday afternoon from 2 to 4 at the Crescent Hotel in Eureka Springs. Earlier this month, I met Doug at the Eureka Springs School of the Arts to talk about the new book. We sat outside, just on the other side of a wood-turning class that was taking place that day. Doug says the path to this new book began years ago, when a publisher contacted him to write a book about inlay boxes. Doug Stowe says when he was contacted, he said, I'm not interested in writing a how-to book. I want to write a why-to book. And, and so this book really has its kind of origins back then. And, and the editor said to me, well, if you can give me 16 box projects, I'll let you have a sidebar in each chapter that would help to explain your philosophy. So my first book became kind of a philosophy book uh, disguised as a how-to book. And now this book is more a um, how-to book disguised as a philosophy book. It's kind of flipping the thing because on the one hand, I'm telling things about the wood that you need to know, um, but also it applies to other crafts because if you're in any craft, you're having to know and go deeply into the nature of the materials mm -hmm. and into the nature of the tools. And so I use reflections from my 45 years as a craftsman to um, illuminate some of the things about going deep into something. 
And the deeper you go into anything, the, the greater the rewards. And, um, and so I tried to um, use the first part of the book to kind of explain some of that and then branch from there into, into things like um, forgiveness and um, the way uh, crafts touch on your civilization at large and the way the hands, the left hand and the right hand work in partnership with each other. And... Um, and so it's really a book of philosophy, but it's also a book that's... Uh, there's, a, there's a story about the three philosophers who were walking, walking along, contemplating the wonders of the universe, and they fell into a drainage ditch. So there's a... You know, things need to be grounded. You, you have to look at the heavens, but you also have to look at your feet. So you have to, um, so there's a real world that we live in. And, and that real world has a tremendous impact on us, whether we notice it or not. You know, we can, we can withdraw into our virtual realities and all of that stuff for a short time, and we can take some pleasure in it. But, um, but the hands are really symbols of the whole man, and so when the first mate says, um, all hands on deck, he's not saying uh, disembodied hands. He's talking about the intelligence of the crew coming. He's talking about the whole of the person coming into things. And there's a thing about crafts, I think, that um, elicits the uh, whole of the person in, in ways that give deep and rich rewards. So much of our work now can be in front of a screen, can be with a keyboard. When you think about working with your hands, whether it's woodworking, whether it's leather, perhaps it's, I think people still do this, working on an engine under a car hood. Yes, uh -huh. Can things that you can just working with your hands be something that is valuable to your mind, your soul, your spirit? There's, um, there's a thing, interesting thing that happens when you're working with your hands. Um, the, when you, if you pick up a chisel for the first time and you're holding it and you're trying, well, how do I direct this into the wood to get it to do the thing that I want it to do? It's, um, it takes a lot of mind power to do that. You know, you're having to pay really close attention. And then after a while, the funny thing is, it takes less and less attention because it becomes practiced. And as it becomes practiced, the thing that happens next is your mind is actually liberated to do other things and to bring in other notions and other, uh, other explorations that are um, abstract. I imagine working with wood towards a finished product and creating a book are similar in the sense that you know where you want to go, you have a good idea when you're done, but I think, I'm, I'm guessing that when you work with wood, you are your own editor, often. Absolutely. When you're working with a book, you have an editor. And I wonder what, do you notice a difference in the creative process? Well, the, uh, working on a book, whether it's a how-to book full of pictures or, or the book that I just finished, um, it's a collaborative process, you know, and... And yet, most of my woodworking has also been a collaborative process. Um, 
I've, you know, most of my furniture has been built for people who want something specific. And so that means I, we have conversations, we look at pictures together, we, um, I will do drawings and they'll say, well, and then what about this? And so this back and forth collaboration has always made my work a lot richer. And, uh, and I've had the same kinds of relationships with, with my editors. Um, and they make me a better writer. They, they ask, um, well, I don't quite understand what you're trying to say here. Will you clarify? And it gives me the chance to clarify because often they're coming at things from one angle and I'm coming at things from another angle. And from my angle, it seems like, oh, this, is, this ought to be obvious to everybody, of course, because it's obvious to me. And then the editor says, well, no, it's not obvious from the, looking at it from this other angle. So it it's always makes things richer. With the new book, did you have those conversations like where, when you were asked where you're coming from about physical work or about the more philosophical or both? Well, with, with, this, with the wisdom of our hands, it, it really started out when uh, a gentleman from Linden Publishing had read a response that I had written on a blog about Zen, and he recognized my name as a woodworking writer. He said, well, maybe this guy can write, but what I want him to write about is how to take your crafts to the next level. And, um, and so he contacted me, and I said, well, that's all really nice, but what, what I've been wanting to do is a book not about just taking our crafts to the next level, but about taking our society to the next level, because the... It's the same thing, you know. I mean, crafting is—it's um, not—it's not well understood, you know, by by some people. And the the idea is you make something, right? But the thing that the point that's missed is that in making something, you're actually making yourself, and you're remaking your relationship with others. And so, to become um, I know all of all of uh, your listeners have some grasp of this, you know, how you've done something that changes the way you feel about yourself, you know. And when you change the way people feel about themselves and lifted them in that way, there's a greater magnanimity that happens, a greater uh, a greater level of unselfishness, um, and a greater level of empathy that happens. And, um, and so, you know, the journey of a craftsman is getting better at something, but getting better for what? Of course, the getting better for not only for your own well-being, but for the well-being of others. And so there's, it's, um, and, and we live in a, in a society that's kind of polarized in a way. You know, you've got the, the hand people and the non-hand people. You've got the people that are going to college and the people that are supposed to go in, into the trades. And the people that are on the, on the one side, whichever side you decide is your, your side, you think is... But we're, we're really just all in this together. And, and we really need to raise the understanding of what craftsmen invest in their work as a way of just helping us to become 
a more cohesive and whole society. Doug Stowe's latest book is The Wisdom of Our Hands Crafting a Life. And he'll sign copies Sunday afternoon from 2 until 4 at the Crescent Hotel in Eureka Springs. Our conversation took place on the campus of the Eureka Springs School of the Arts earlier this month. We talked more than what you just heard, and we'll hear more Sunday morning at 9 on Weekend Ozarks at Large. And soon on Ozarks at Large, more about the Eureka Springs School of the Arts as we take a tour of the campus. Ozarks at Large is underwritten, in part, by the Walton Family Charitable Support Foundation. KUAF is supported by Pack Rat Outdoor Center, a small business family-owned in Fayetteville since 1973. Pack Rat is dedicated to community, conservation, and waste reduction. A schedule of local cleanups, full moon hikes, and pint night events is available online at packratoc.com. This is Ozarks at Large. This is the spring on-air fundraiser at KUAF. And during Ozarks at Large this Tuesday, our great friend Marty Burgraff of Fayetteville is making a $300 challenge. So the first $300 we raise in Ozarks at Large today is matched by Marty. That makes it worth $600. You don't have to do the entire $300, just do a part of it, and Marty Burgraff will match it up to $300. You can make that contribution right now at supportkuaf.com. You have high expectations, and KUAF has been providing great programming for over 35 years, and it just keeps getting better. We help you make sense of the news, flooded with information day after day, giving you trustworthy information that matters. Public radio provides an excellent mix of truth and passion. NPR and KUAF check the facts to give you a true picture of events, and we talk to people who care about what's at the heart of the matter. It's radio for your world and stories for every side of you. KUAF brings programs rich with intellect and passion, and it's your financial support that makes it all possible. Whether that's a one-time gift, whether that's becoming a sustaining member, whatever way that you can do so. We hope you will do so by going to supportkuaf.com. And the first $300 raised during Ozarks at Large today, met by Marty Burgraff of Fave, a longtime great friend of KUAF and Ozarks at Large. So if you can afford up to $300, you can make that contribution right now at supportkuaf.com, and you'll be doing your part to keep programs like Ozarks at Large, Fresh Air, Morning Edition on the air. Support KUAF.com, and thanks, Marty Burgraff, and thank you for your contribution. This is Ozarks at Large. The average person may not associate the social media app TikTok with the idea of calm, but one account with the username Pineacre offers a breath of fresh air as you scroll through the app. The profile is run by Ashlyn Goldbranson, who has several dozen short videos of timeless spaces across the Ozarks, from a Harps grocery store in Eureka Springs to Lucky Cat Curiosity Shop in Berryville and everything. I mean everything in between. One commenter on a recent video says, I've never found anyone who understands that there's something beautiful about what is considered mundane, but you do. Another says, you make everyday life look beautiful. Ashlyn joined us in the Carver Center for Public Radio and also took us along for a video shoot at the Dixon Street Bookshop in Fayetteville. My name is Ashlyn Gilbranson, and I live in the Fayetteville area. 
I moved here for college and ended up loving it and staying. I was kind of raised in the, the Bible Belt and kind of the Deep South, and I think that was Arcs has echoes of that here. Being raised in the South and being toted around with your mom all over town, kind of, um, I would always just soak up the spaces around me, and whether it was a grocery store, a gas station, a church, I would just soak it in and that was something in my childhood that I just really fell in love with wherever I went I would keep myself busy just by looking around and I guess becoming a mother now and having to you know teach the world to a young child I have entered into that like mindset again and it I think it shows in my videos that kind of like child like wonder of just appreciating the small things. I started making the videos was, um, again, in a reaction to the pandemic. I kind of did a challenge with myself in January of 2021 where I would just post what I found beautiful in my day, whether it was my mom activities or just light around my house. And that kind of spurred me on this realization of how much I love editing and mixing music with video and how it is essentially a choreography within itself. So I fell in love with the capturing of my daily life in my own way and it went through different just with my life different days look different so different moments that I would capture would look different and TikTok was just the easiest way to put my content out there into the internet ether and just it was a way for me to just archive my life I guess no one watched my videos for months (laughs) but it was just awesome I could just like I would make them and I would watch them myself and be like so proud of just my days and I would take the time to stop and notice the moments that aren't asking for attention, I guess. I, a comment I get a lot that just popped into my head is, you make me nostalgic for a place I've never been. I get that comment a lot, which is interesting because it's such a specific sentence. So I look for just moments that make me stop and that I find beautiful and it's been a kind of a test to my intuition in a sense to trust what I find beautiful to share but what I look for is just the fingerprints of life on these stores. Usually I just look for things that catch my eye. Um, little handwritten notes, which this place is full (laughs) of handwritten little signs. So I'll just see. I also love um, mirrors, (laughs) just to capture more of the space. That's about it. I do about a four second clip of each shot. Yeah. The combination of the, like the mirror and the like two fluorescent lights too. Yeah. I feel like give a good vibe. Yes. They do something magic on the iPhone camera as well, like the fluorescent with the the mirror. I can't explain it, it just picks up really well. Also, just little details like strings hanging from the ceiling. What do you do with like people in your shots? Do you try to keep them out of them or? It depends. I try to always be respectful with like privacy and stuff, so I always make sure they're a good distance away and usually their head turned or just their back or something. But um, yeah, I don't mind. 
it sometimes. I'm trying to get like the stacked mm-hmm. like hallway effects and hopefully someone will walk by. I love just the personal elements of the paper chains and um, just capturing capturing those in each shot if I can. Someone commented once, um, if I was taller, I think I would see the world differently. And I was like, how did someone know this from my videos that I'm tall? As you're shooting these, do you ever like, uh, are you ever like self-aware of like what you're doing like some other person might perceive as like strange or like out of place yeah I've thought about that and I think I am but I also think so many people are on their phones too and I think it's more myself that thinks about it but if I am the only person in a store and there's um or wherever in a I'll usually ask to film so it's not just them like what are they doing so let me get these um just to capture these little letter markers as mm-hmm. well. Sometimes I also wonder if people think I'm like an inspector <laughs> or something, like a building inspector <laughs> doing something like that. Yeah. What has surprised you the most through this process of making videos, from getting responses from viewers? Um, what surprised you the most through all of this? That's a good question. <laughs> it surprised me that people are just interested in, you know, my day-to-day life. And I think it's also, it surprised me just the the comments I get from people in this area that are that are so hyped about it. They love it. Like... I'm not sure how many people from this area know about it, um, know about my channel, but it it is, that surprised me because, you know, you want to do it well. (laughs) So it, it is an honor and, yeah. You can find the video from today's story on TikTok or at ozarksatlarge.com. This is Ozarks at Large. Thanks for being with us on this Tuesday. Quick reminder, this is the Spring On Air fundraiser at KUAF, and we are taking just a couple of minutes in between stories and interviews on our show today to remind you that the reason we can bring you stories and interviews is because of support from you and listeners like you. You can make your support right now at supportkuaf.com. Past couple of years have been tough on all of us. I don't think any of us have... uh, been spared, though some of us hit harder than others. KUAF not spared. We had to adapt and change. But you know what? It was our contributors, our monthly contributors, who played a major role in getting us through the last couple of years, especially when many businesses had to, you know, alter what they did and pause their support to us. So if you're a sustaining monthly contributor, thank you very much. Really, thank you for keeping us here. If you're not a sustaining contributor, you could consider becoming one right now. Just pick an amount that you would give each month. You won't even notice it. I've been a contributing, sustaining member for several years now. All it takes is a few dollars a month, and you can do that at supportkuaf.com. Speaking of just a few dollars, just a few dollars will help us meet the challenge from Marty Burgraff of Fayetteville, who has put up $300. The first $300 matched or uh, contributed during Ozarks at Large this Tuesday will be matched by Marty Burgraff. So if you can afford up to $300, Marty is going to meet that. To do that, 
you go to supportkuaf.com. This is if it's a brand new membership. This is if you're making a gift membership, if you're just your turn to contribute again, or if you are for the first time becoming a monthly contributor, a sustaining member. It all works towards that $300 challenge. Whatever the reason, please consider how you use public radio, Ozarks at Large, and KUAF. And please remember, the vast majority of our budget, our operating budget, comes from listeners just like you. You can make a contribution in the amount you choose right now at supportkuaf.com. And thank you. KUAF is supported by Little Wing Productions, presenting the classic rock band Three Dog Night to the auditorium in Eureka Springs, Thursday, July 14th. Hits include Mama Told Me Not to Come, Joy to the World, an old-fashioned love song, and more. Tickets are available online at tickets at thundertix.com. When caring for a seriously ill loved one, the journey shouldn't be taken alone. Circle of Life Hospice can help. Services are covered by Medicare, Medicaid, and private insurance. No one is turned away based on an inability to pay. 750-6632 or nwacircleoflife.com for information. This is Ozarks at Large. Let's stay in tune with our theme today of calm. Zakir Hussein playing the tabla. Next week, we'll have a rare opportunity to see and hear him live at Walton Art Center. He's a Grammy-winning tabla player who's become one of the most celebrated artists of the instrument. He's created a phenomenal career playing classical, jazz, rock, recording with George Harrison, Van Morrison, Ravi Shankar, Ali Akbar Khan, John Handy, Mickey Hart, on the soundtrack of Apocalypse Now at the White House, and you get the idea. Earlier this month, my music interview partner Leah Uribe and I reached Zakir Hussein by Zoom at his Bay Area home to ask about his career and about his upcoming concert in Fayetteville. He told us this upcoming show at Walnard Center, which is a week from tonight at 7, will feature two other musicians who he's played with separately, but this is the first time the three of them will have played together. Kalaramnath and Jayanti Kumresh are two of the finest exponents of this tradition that they represent. Uh, what's also exciting for me is that Jayanti Kumarish plays an instrument that is considered to be close to 2,000 years old, as is. So this instrument has survived this same shape and form, except for they've made some interesting uh, technical uh, advancement to be able to make it project to a larger audience uh, because it mainly used to be played only in the temples for you know a small group of people so veena is her instrument and veena is concerned uh, is considered to be like the mother of most in string instruments in india and and so she's playing veena and uh, represents the system of music that is known as Carnatic music, which is southern 
form of music, music used mostly in South India. There's an invisible dividing line between North India and South India. Nobody knows where it actually is, but uh, somewhere as you pass through Mumbai and go maybe 50 miles south, you could start thinking that, oh, this is Southern music. So anyway, uh, she represents that. Kala Ramnath is playing a more modern instrument, the violin. And uh, the violin was adapted by South Indian musicians as an accompanying instrument to the vocal music. And, and the reason was obvious. You could slide and do all those nuances that Indian music uh, projects. So it was easier to do that. Uh, and uh, so they adopted that and uh, it came with the Portuguese and the French who brought this instrument to India, what about 400, maybe 450 odd years ago. And uh, in the last 300 years, it has slowly become an uh, instrument of choice as an accompanying instrument for vocal music. And also in the last 200 odd years, um, a solo instrument. I am interested in learning um, about the process of being the most important figure uh, in the United States, the one that brought the tradition of tabla and made it accessible for many. Uh, I imagine, uh, you know, the world has changed a lot and the reception yeah. of your music and your ideas from back in the 70s to today uh, is different. Yeah. Can, can you it, tell us a little bit about that? Well, uh, first of all, I don't think I'm the most important figure. Uh, I am, you know, it's like Ravi Shankar was the face of Indian music, uh, one of the greatest musicians to have come out of India. But there were at least 10 other incredibly great sitar players who were not known. And, and, and so uh, it's not that they were not known in India, they were well known in India and revered and loved and honored and all that stuff. But they were not very well known outside of India because, well, they did not travel as much. And the, what, whoever gets to have their name on the marquee becomes the most popular or the face. And 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 I have that uh, 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 infamous. Uh, uh, honor, uh, but I have to tell you that I'm not the best tabla player around in the world. This is a fact. There's at least 12 or 14 really, really incredible tabla players who on their day are much, much better than me. And I've seen some young tabla players today and I hear them and my jaw drops as to how are they able to do this? That's how much tabla playing has changed since I began and you know how it is. It was 40 years ago, 50 years ago, impossible to imagine a four-minute mile being run. It changed. It's impossible to imagine that you can drive the ball from one end of the court to the next in a basketball game in 20-some seconds. And actually, it is impossible to imagine that in 0 0.04 second, you can catch the ball and throw and make a basket. And uh, it's, it's just that much, how much micro every, everything has become. And, and so to watch the tabla players of the yesteryears, my senior ones who I studied with, 
And then I started playing and everybody said, oh boy, your sound has, is, is, is much more uh, stronger and you're playing faster than they are. Well, it's because fast was up to here in their time. And so I started here and then worked my way up further. And, and, and so that, so I brought it up to a certain point and then it moved to a certain point. Technology has changed the way we play. The microphones, the better ones, the sound systems, better ones, allow us to be able to magnify our, our, our ability to project our sound in a way where we are able to now bring the subtleties out to the audiences, which we were not able to before. Uh, for example, when I play with uh, the symphony orchestra, there's 80 musicians sitting all around me and there's a conductor there, but I cannot use the microphone in the way that I was if I was playing with an Indian classical musician or, or John McLaughlin or anybody. Uh, it microphone's not there, so I have to play differently. I have to play hard and I have to play strong. So some of the subtle stuff only happens when I'm doing my cadenza by myself. So I can then do subtle things. Uh, but uh, with the microphone available, it, it all changes. You are able to get the bass tones out. You can make the instrument play uh, all the seven notes of the scale and stuff, which was considered an impossibility 30 years, 40 years ago in tabla uh, until I started doing it. And it was not an Indian influence. It was a Latin influence. And it was a jazz influence to see how the bass plays with the drums and see if I can replicate those notes in my tabla, which was possible to do. So it changed uh, the way the tabla is played now. The tabla has now become much more of a, a, a module to transpose percussion traditions that exist all around the globe. And, it's, and it is because technically you can do it on the tabla. Technically, you can make it happen. So you can play Latin percussion on tabla. You can play hip hop on tabla. You can play, uh, you know, uh, jazz on tabla. You can play the ride and do the bass drum and 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 hit a snare like sound. You can do all that. And 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 so it has become an instrument that somehow uh, lends itself uh, copacetically to all sorts of music around the world. And that is one of the biggest move forward uh, that uh, this instrument has made. And, and I'm happy that I was there to work with it, to ride the bus with it, along with like 10 or 15 other tabla players who have done the same thing. And I, I happen to be uh, sort of pushed forward by great musicians like John McLaughlin or Charles Lloyd or George Harrison or Van Morrison and Bela Fleck at Gurmeyer and all these musicians brought me forward and uh, therefore put this unwanted responsibility of being the face of, of the instrument. But uh, it is there, and uh, but the instrument has evolved. It just strikes me that you and this instrument are a perfect match because there's exploration. You were talking about all the different ways from hip hop to jazz to, to classical music. And you can explore with this instrument, and you strike me as someone who is an explorer. Oh, absolutely. But all musicians are explorers. I mean, what drove John Coltrane to Ravi Shankar? He wanted to find another way to be able to tell the same story. 
It was important for him to expand his horizons as far as the language of music is concerned. And, and, and so he, he sought Ravi Shankar out. So did George Harrison. They were, they were great musicians in their own world, and they, they really didn't need to do it. I mean, they were loved and revered and honored, and they could just ride that wave, um, multi-million multi sellers and all that stuff. But no, the, the thirst to be able to explore, to find new ways to express themselves moves us forward. And it's the same with Charles Lloyd or Bela Fleck or uh, Edgar Meyer or John McLaughlin or anybody. And, and, and it happened. They, they sort people out. They seek people out uh, to see who it is. That's how I met John McLaughlin. I was doing a tabla workshop in New York and, and he shows up. And not to learn tabla, but to learn some raga information from, from a drummer. I mean, not a melody guy, but a rhythm guy. And, 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 I have, and I ended up giving him a vocal lesson the very first time we met. And then so it's so strange, but he sought it out. And, and, and I was this young 19-year-old kid, and he was this great famous musician, trying to learn from me. I mean, just imagine that. Uh, anyway, so uh, 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 that's what it is. It's a thirst for knowledge. My father, every day I sat down with him to study, the first thing he would say to me was, don't try to be a master. Just try to be a great student and you will get by. Zakir Hussein will bring Trevini to the Walton Art Center a week from tonight, April 5th at 7, as part of the 10 by 10 series. He talked with Leah Uribe and me by Zoom last week. By the way, you can hear Leah's Sound Perimeter every Thursday on Ozarks at Large, and you can find past editions of Sound Perimeter wherever you find podcasts. Fayetteville Public Television offers classes in project planning and video production, plus accessibility to equipment and broadcast channels to share videos with a viewing audience. Serving all residents of Washington and Benton County, Fayetteville Public Television can help people turn video ideas into reality. FAYpublic.tv for more information. This is Ozarks at Large. Thank you for listening on this Tuesday. I am Matthew Moore, and we are in the midst of our spring on-air fundraiser. Most of the choices for news, information, and entertainment come with a set fee. For cable or satellite TV, you pay to receive a few channels that you want and, you know, a lot that you probably haven't even heard of. From streaming services like Netflix, Amazon, Hulu, to subscriptions to newspapers and magazines, we pay, and large companies and their stockholders get rich. Public radio operates on a different model. You listen whenever you want and as often as you want, and you decide whether or not to pay for the service you get from your public radio station. This week during our on-air fundraiser, we are reminding you of all you get when you listen to public radio. And we remind you of the importance of making a donation to KUAF. Whether that's a one-time gift or a sustaining gift, any amount helps KUAF be able to continue to provide important news programs like Ozarks at Large. You can do your part and help pay for the quality news programs KUAF brings to you, whether it's on the air, on the KUAF app, or your smart speaker. Support KUAF.com. Whether that's a one-time gift, a sustaining gift of $5, $10 a month, it all adds up and it all makes a difference. So thank you for listening. Thank you for being a part of this community. And you can continue to be a part of this community by going to support KUAF. 
Blockchain.com. And thank you. This week on Blockchain, the future of money. With the Russian invasion of Ukraine, money has become a central talking point, from sanctions to aid to oligarchs on the run and hiding money. So we ask the question, is it easier to hide criminal activity in cryptocurrency? 2019, there was about $601 million worth of Bitcoin was used in some form of illicit activities, mm-hmm. right? That same year, there was $673 billion worth of transactions in the Bitcoin sphere. So it's a, it's a fraction. Yeah, actually, it's, it's, it's actually 1%. 1%. Criminal activity in the global money economy and how cryptocurrency might change the game. This week on Blockchain, the future of money, a podcast hosted by Eric Denbor, online at KUAF.com and anywhere you get your podcasts. This is Ozarks at Large. Thanks to everybody supporting us this hour and all week long at supportKUAF.com. The Environmental Protection Agency, under the Biden administration, has renewed efforts, curtailed during the Trump administration, to reduce industrial ozone pollution, especially ozone emissions from coal-powered energy facilities. As Ozarks at Large, as Jacqueline Froelich reports, Arkansas counts five coal-fired plants. Late last month, EPA signed a proposed plan to mandate ozone national ambient air quality standards set in 2015 in 26 states to protect downwind states. This transport rule aims to manage industrial smog-producing emissions, resolving certain Clean Air Act good neighbor obligations. The environmental watchdog group, Sierra Club's lobbying for the proposed cross-state air pollution rule, citing that 150 coal-burning power plants across the U.S. lack sufficient pollution control technologies, including several plants in Arkansas. Tony Mendoza is a senior attorney based in the Oakland office, California, for the nonprofit Sierra Club. And what I do is work on clean energy, coal and gas in states like Arkansas, Missouri, um, Indiana, a bunch of middle U.S. states. Mendoza says the proposed transport rule will reduce ozone-forming nitric oxide, or NOx, emissions. Nitric oxide is a chemical compound of oxygen and nitrogen, which is formed during combustion at high temperatures of fuel such as oil, diesel, gas, and coal. So ozone, and I'm not a scientist, but I am a lawyer. So ozone is a chemical compound that is formed at its simplest level from, or in the simplest way to explain it, in combination with sunlight and with pollution that's caused by burning fossil fuels. And I think the two main precursor chemicals are nitrogen oxides. A lot of times people talk about them as NOx or NOx, and then also volatile and organic compounds. And I can't explain to you the chemical process that causes that, but it's essentially that when those those precursor chemicals are impacted by sunlight, they convert to ozone, which is O3. And, you know, when I was younger, we were worried about the ozone layer protecting us from sunlight. And ozone in the upper atmosphere is actually good because it protects us from harmful UV rays and other things like that. But ozone at ground level where humans breathe it is, is extremely damaging. And, you know, there's tons of studies on the harm it causes, and I, I, I'm, I don't have all of those at my fingertips, but essentially it makes it harder for humans to breathe and in, it increases asthma and 
other respiratory problems. Mendoza says residents in states with polluting coal fire facilities will routinely be warned about dangerous ozone levels in the lower atmosphere. But different states will put out pollution advisories, um, which will also be picked up on the local news. I know in St. Louis, it's pretty common that this will be on the morning news, that the weather people will say, hey, it's going to be a red alert day. And so, um, you know, maybe stay inside if you have asthma and things like that. In general, ozone is worst on the hottest summer days when there's air when air pollution is at its worst, um, and often in urban areas because the the main causes are things like coal burning power plants and then also cars and trucks. And so anywhere where there's a lot of industry or coal plants or a concentration of cars and trucks will be places that have bad ozone. So according to AccuWeather's air quality monitor, ground level ozone in northwest Arkansas, as of this report, is ranked as fair, showing certain ground level ozone may be aggravating existing respiratory diseases, lead to throat irritations, headaches, and chest pain. Industrial sources, in particular coal-fired electric generating stations, can produce thousands of tons of nitric or nitrogen oxide NOx emissions annually. There's five coal plants in Arkansas. Turk and Plum Point are the newer ones. And so they create a tremendous amount of climate damaging carbon pollution, of course. But when they were built, modern requirements were imposed on those. And so those plants are not as vulnerable to having to reduce NOx. But there's three plants, very large plants in Arkansas, that don't have modern pollution controls. And those are Intergy's White Bluff, modern pollution controls for nitrogen oxides, I should say. So that's White Bluff and Independence, which are operated by Intergy Arkansas, and then Flint Creek, which is operated by Southwestern Power Company, or SWEPCO, as people probably call them most often, lack modern controls. And so they would have to either install an SCR, a selective catalytic reduction, which would reduce nitrogen oxides, or they could, under the Casper trading program, could pay credits to reduce pollution elsewhere. The 516-megawatt Flint Creek Coal Fire Plant in Gentry in Benton County, co-owned by Southwestern Electric Company and Arkansas Electric Cooperatives, operates with some of the lowest permitted emissions limits of any coal-fueled generating unit in the U.S. That's according to Peter Main, Corporate Communications Manager for SWEPCO. In an email for this report, Maine says SWEPCO in recent years has significantly upgraded Flint Creek, adding new low nitrogen oxide burners and over-fire air systems to reduce NOx emissions, as well as additional components to reduce sulfur dioxide, particulate matter, acid gases, mercury, and other metals. Maine says SWEPCO has also invested over a billion dollars in the North Central Energy Facilities Wind Project in Oklahoma, now fully online, providing 1,484 megawatts of clean energy, enough to power 44,000 homes. SWEPCO owns 54%, or approximately 809 megawatts of the wind facility. SWEPCO is currently reviewing the cross-state rule, Maine says. The rule, Mendoza says, will compel U.S. coal-burning energy producers like SWEPCO to invest in additional technology to further reduce smog and greenhouse gases until the nation fully transitions to clean energy production later this century. You know, if you just Google U.S. EPA or use whatever search engine you want, 
um, to find the US EPA ozone website, you can find information about this most recent ozone transport rule, which has some you know, wonky name like the cross-state air pollution ozone transport rule. And then this is being published as a proposed rule. And under federal law, that means any person can comment on the rule. Um, industry certainly will file comments on the, on the rule, as will environmental groups like Sierra Club. But the new EPA is very interested in, in hearing from environmental justice communities and just regular people in general. And so if, if you have an opinion on ozone pollution or asthma or any of, the, any of the public health harms that are caused by this type of pollution, I would encourage you to you know, find that comment email and send in your comments in support of EPA taking steps to reduce asthma attacks and reduce death from air pollution. Mendoza's mention of the new EPA refers to the Biden administration's work to recover from the damage caused by the four-year-long Trump administration, which dismantled historic environmental protections starting in 2016. If enacted, EPA's air transport rule could by 2026 reduce polluting nitric oxide power plant emissions by nearly 30% in the targeted 26 states. We've posted a link to EPA's proposed Good Neighbor Plan on our news web. For Ozarks at Large, I'm Jacqueline Froelich. Thank you so much for being with us on this Tuesday in March. I'm Kyle Kellums. And I'm Matthew Moore. And this is the Spring On Air Fundraiser at KUAF. Quick reminder, Marty Burgraff, great friend of KUAF, has made another Ozarks at Large specific challenge today. The first $300 raised during Ozarks at Large on this Tuesday will be matched by Marty. That means that first $300 turns into $600 that helps us continue to bring you the radio you've come to expect from KUAF. Ozarks at Large, 1A, here in now, wait, wait, don't tell me. All of the programs come with a price tag, come with costs, and the vast majority, that pie chart of our budget, that biggest chunk comes from you and listeners like you. So thanks, Marty Burgraff, for the $300 challenge on Tuesday Ozarks Large. Thank you for helping us meet that. You can do that right now at supportkuaf.com. KUAF brings you stories you can't find anywhere else. That's an important distinction when you think about all the information you have access to. On public radio, you're hearing stories and conversations that stop and make you think, and sometimes even change your view of the world. It's why you listen, and it's a great reason to give to KUAF right now. Kyle, can you imagine a time where, in the same day, you're hearing a story about a world-renowned tabla player (laughs) And also a story about a person making TikTok videos here in the Ozarks. I know what I'm listening to with that agenda. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. So the, the programming that we're able to bring here at KUAF is, is unlike anything you'll find on the news or in the news. So by going to supportkuaf.com, you can show us and your community how important this public resource is to everyone. And thank you. Hey, I'm Elsa Chang. Like a good snack mix, All Things Considered from NPR News has a bit of everything. In-depth journalism, interviews with artists, stories about people's lives that make you stop and think. And while your mind savors what you're hearing, your hands are free to drive, fold laundry, or just sift through some peanuts and pretzels. So listen to All Things Considered every afternoon. All Things Considered today and every weekday afternoon from 3 to 6 on KUAF. 
And thank you to Marty Bergeroff for doing a challenge for listeners of Ozarks at Large. For up to $300, you can be met dollar for dollar. Your financial contribution can be doubled by going to supportkuaf.com. Thank you to Marty. This is KUAF 91.3, Fayetteville, Fort Smith, Bentonville, and Nail. Today's show, produced by Timothy Dennis, contributors included Jacqueline Froelich and Leah Uribe. KUAF Center Writing Director is Rhonda Dillard. From the Carver Center for Public Radio, I'm Matthew Moore. And I'm Kyle Kellums. Thank you for your time and support. Another edition of Ozarks at Large tomorrow. Be well. We will end with more Tabla from Zakir Hussein.